1: Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Welcome back to Work Stories. Today, we're going to be speaking with Samantha Singh. She's an accountant turned diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. She's going to be talking about passion work, first-gen support in corporate America, and how our male allies can do just that, be allies. Let's talk to Sam. Well, today I am joined by the wonderful Samantha. Thank you for coming on and talking with us today.
0: Hi, Joy. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Let's just start off,
1: like, briefly tell us about you. Like, what is your kind of 30-second life um, (laughs) story here?
0: (laughs) 30 seconds. Okay. So (laughs) my name is Samantha Singh. I currently live in New Jersey. I was born and raised here. So I'm a Jersey lifer. I currently work as a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant where I partner with organizations to create inclusive environments, enhance workplace cultures, and provide training to help leaders grow and become more inclusive. So I've been very fortunate to play the role of a strategic partner and provide guidance to organizations to help them understand. Where their pain points exist and develop recommendations based on where they are in their journey and what they are in the most need of. I've had the pleasure of of working with um, organizations across industries from financial services to ed tech, to media, to e-commerce. So that is the work that I do now. Uh, But it was quite the journey to get here.
1: Yeah. What were you, like, how did you land in DEI work? I know everybody approaches it from different directions.
0: It is, it's quite the story. I'll start with the way that I um, identify myself and the way that I was raised, because I think that has a large part to do with how I made decisions throughout my career. Mm -hmm. I'm a first generation American, a woman of color. Uh, My parents and my whole family immigrated to the U.S. from Guyana a large part of who I am and how I identify myself is influenced by the values that I was raised with and my upbringing. And so the value of education was very strong, having a stable career, but also doing work that felt rewarding and noble was really instilled in me. And, you know, having a strong sense of integrity in the work that you were doing. I think because my parents came to the U.S. for a better life and worked really hard and really invested in us as their kids, there was a sense of pressure to be successful. Mm-hmm. Right. I think we all feel that way. Yeah. It's sort of the the classic American dream you sacrifice for your kids so that they don't have to have the same struggles that you did. So you know, you always want to respect your parents, but if you're not careful, you could get caught up in those pressures of society and family to make choices based on those expectations versus what your, your intuition is actually telling you.
1: Yeah. And I would imagine as like a first gen American child, the guidance you get from your parents is different. And maybe there's some guidance, at least as it relates to work and choosing a career and, and moving through your career, that would be a little different than it would for second, third, fourth generation.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think that the The advice and the guidance was just work really hard and let your work speak for itself and be respectful. And yes, that is maybe 20% of it, but there is so much more that you have to learn as you are just entering the workforce. So I think that starting out in a corporate environment can be overwhelming and intimidating especially for recent college graduates, but especially if you're the first in your family to work in an environment like that.
1: So that's your, your base, right? So you're going into, you know, your career out of school and you're starting off. And this is you know, this is already your thought process. This is, you know, what you're coming into the workforce with. Um, tell us about like your first jobs and and, and what you thought you were going to do when you left college.
0: So I chose to study accounting in college. So I have an accounting undergrad degree. Um, I knew that it would provide job security and stability, but I also had this desire for helping people. And I really wanted to help people with their finances and be in a position of, of being able to provide guidance and education on financial literacy. That's where my heart was when I was 18 and I chose my major in college. But once I graduated, I knew I had to start somewhere. And so I started working for large financial services firms in finance. For a few of those years post-college, I was climbing the ladder, sort of focusing on the goals that were directly in front of me at the time, honestly going through those motions working towards promotions, studying for the CPA exam, all because that's what I thought I should be doing. So on paper, I had this promising career trajectory in front of me and I was fortunate to have worked for firms with plenty of opportunity, but what was missing was feeling that sense of connection and passion for the work that I was doing, which I knew was a big roadblock for me reaching my full potential. And there was so much more that I was capable of. I wasn't even utilizing some of the creative parts of my brain. And so it was a real struggle for me for a few years in my 20s. I was really overwhelmed. I was unsure. And I was tired. Uh, The work that I was doing wasn't enjoyable. And it wasn't giving me energy and fulfillment that I needed. You know, this is so common um, for young professionals. What I would say is you, you don't really have... The life experience to rely on when you're young. And so you just have to go with it and sort of learn as you go and just keep reflecting and making sure that you're giving yourself the exposure and the experience and that you learn from it. I think that's what your 20s are for, for exploring and, and learning to work in different environments and cultures and you know, determining what's what's a good fit for you. So challenging yourself to be vulnerable and try something new or take that risk is really important when you're sort of in the earlier stages of your career.
1: How do you do that when society is pressuring you to make responsible decisions, you know, you know, sticking with that job that gives you financial security. It's usually those jobs also really please our parents and our family members, right? Because it's not just our parents who put pressure um, on us, even if it's loving pressure. It's the aunts and uncles and grandparents and the cousins and the conversations that happen when we're not there about like, oh, do you know Samantha's has this fancy accounting job? Oh yeah. You know, like they're talking about you and people are watching you even when you don't realize it. And I know I felt a lot of pressure straight out of college to do what other people thought was good for me, even if I wasn't enjoying it. And I thought, well, eventually, if I if I stick with it long enough, maybe one day I'll just wake up and start enjoying it. How do you right. kind of decide, no, I'm going to do something completely different when there's a lot of pressure to stay in that lane?
0: The first thing that I'll say is you have to prioritize being true to yourself. And the first thing that I would say to do is is to practice reflection and to practice listening to your intuition. Your intuition will never steer you in the wrong direction. So I would say to look inward and really practice uh, being mindful of how you're feeling when you're in certain environments or when you're performing certain tasks. If it's making you feel productive and motivated, that's wonderful. But if you're feeling drained and like you need to recharge and if you're living for the weekend, that's a sign that something is off here. So we have to learn how to block out the opinions of others unless they are being supportive and loving. I was watching an interview with Oprah and she used the analogy of as you're climbing up the mountain of life, there are people that will give you oxygen and will help you continue to climb to higher peaks, or there's others that'll put rocks in your backpack and make it more difficult for you to continue that climb. The faster that you can identify this, the easier your journey will be. And so in terms of family, in terms of you know society telling you what you should do, honestly, I just block it out. And I just listen to myself because it's my life, it's my destiny, it's my career. And I'm the only person that has to live with myself every day of my life. So I would just work really hard to, to also know, uh, know your audience and know who you can share certain details with and who you have to sort of keep at high level with and um, just continue to focus on your goals and what feels right to you. Yeah. It's so
1: funny. Like sometimes when people are putting those rocks in our backpacks, I kind of think like, why, you know, what's that coming from? And one reason, I'm sure there's many others. One reason I've concluded is when other people don't have the courage to take the chances that you're describing, they subconsciously block other people. They make judgments, you know, because they can't do it. And it may not be a courage thing. It could also be resource, timing, Um, They might not have the support that you have. And so there might be a little bit of like envy, you know? Wow. She's like following her dream. She's being daring. She's being a bit bold and I don't have it in me to do that right now. So I'm sure everybody means well, but just kind of letting those opinions float away.
0: (laughs) You said it perfectly. I think when someone doesn't have the courage to do something themselves, then they want to tell you that you can't do it. And that has nothing to do with your capabilities or your dreams, like God didn't put the dream in their heart. He put it in yours so that you could continue on your path and reach whatever goal that you have. So I have definitely come across those individuals throughout my career, especially switching from finance to HR or DEI work that I do now. It was like, what, what do you mean? And who do you think you are thinking that you could actually do this? And it's funny. I've heard the phrase of uh, first they ask you why, and then they ask you how. Mm -hmm. (laughs) initially it's like why are you doing this and then like once you actually achieve the goal and you're actually living the life that you said you would it's like oh my gosh tell me how you did that um so I would just try to identify that fairly quickly in people and the way that they respond to you and then know what you can share with them and what you what you probably should keep to yourself
1: yeah when you decided to switch careers what was the response that you got
0: initially, it, it was kind of mixed. I think that there were people that really love you, want to protect you. And so they will tell you, you know, you're crazy. You can't quit your job. You can't do this. You're not going to make as much money. You're. St- I was in the MBA program part-time at Rutgers at the time. So I was a part-time student. So it was just a lot to consider. But ultimately, if I do switch my career and I do get a new job, I'm the only one that has to get up in the morning and go to work every day and live my life. And so it's ultimately my decision. So um, as I started participating on employee engagement initiatives at a previous firm and doing things like uh, campus recruiting events and corporate social responsibility events, things of that nature, um, this is where I discovered my passion for wanting to focus on the human capital or people element of organizations. I saw how differently I felt in those meetings. I, and I was able to build an understanding of how companies benefit when employees are highly engaged and feels this sense of belonging um, and is aligned with the organization's purpose and culture. So I knew that that sparked a light in me and I couldn't ignore it. I, I knew that it made a light bulb go off. And again, that was all how I felt And no one else really understood that, right? No one else had to understand that but me. Mm -hmm. And so what I did next was I just started to network within the organization I was working with um, and build as much knowledge as I could on the different functions that would be more aligned with my passions and abilities and skills so that I could make an informed decision on what was next, and so I think because I had built that knowledge myself and I had taken the action of, okay, what's the smartest strategic next step that I have to take here? And it was to uh, leave my job in finance and work as an HR analyst for a year because an analyst role in HR is essentially doing reporting and analytics. And mm-hmm. it was the best way for me to leverage my skills in finance to then uh, enter the world of HR. You kind of had like
1: a stop point in between. You were like, okay, this I want to go here, but I can't just fully jump to be strategic. I need to kind of have this point in the middle.
0: Absolutely. And it was a platform, right? It was a way how do I sort of jump from this this mountain to this other mountain that I want to get to? I have to find some way across. And so that was my, my way across. And I had, I got to work for a small startup firm and it was awesome. It was a great experience. And so once I graduated the MBA program in 2019, that's when I started doing consulting work. And so it's sort of nicely aligned the stars aligned at that point in time. And now I do DEI work and that's work that I've always wanted to do and what sparked that light in me to begin with. And so it's just such a nice, rewarding feeling to be able to tell the story of I sort of landed where I wanted to be. Um, and so I'm just excited to continue doing work that that makes me happy and that gives me energy instead of takes my energy away.
1: Yes. I feel like that is, that is the dream for everyone. And so I hope people listening can kind of like take some of these tips and 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 make that dream happen for themselves. So, since you've been you know in DEI and and learning a lot and making different observations about companies that you work with, tell us a bit you know what you've learned, like what improvements need to be made to our work culture, particularly in this country.
0: Yes, where do we start? <laughs> <I> know, <right? laughs> so, let's focus a bit more. We talked about this earlier about uh, being a first generation professional. So. You know, it's, it's very intimidating and overwhelming to start a career in a corporate environment for a recent college graduate who doesn't have much experience, but especially if you're the first in your family to work in an, in an environment like that, you don't really have those resources at your fingertips and are sort of learning the ins and outs of working in a corporate environment as you go. And so the first thing I would say is, of course, that mentorship needs to be there Um, You know, there are so many unwritten rules when it comes to culture of an organization and how to act. Uh, There is um, an article that I recently read, an HBR article titled, How Does Your Company Support First-Generation Professionals? And one thing that stood out to me was around the challenges of assimilation for first-generation professionals and for people of color, specifically with adapting communication styles appearances, mannerisms, things like that, in order to fit in, there's this, there's this pressure to act differently at work to be accepted. And so 43% of first-generation professionals reported that they wish they had learned people or communication skills for the professional world because they had not been exposed to that prior to entering the workforce compared to only 9% of non-first-generation professionals. So, yeah, there, there's so many unspoken rules about what's appropriate. And oftentimes the burden is on the employees to interpret what will and will not be acceptable. And, it, you know, it takes time to learn that. So, you're maybe two to three to four years into your career where you're like, oh wow, I I didn't even realize that this is something that I had to learn in order to be successful in this environment. So not really having to spend a ton of your energy to assimilate is a privilege. So I would just say for organizations that have employee resource groups to um, offer support is extremely helpful it's It allows people to build a professional network and a support system in the workplace. Um, many you know first gen professionals don't have those resources of family and friends to rely on for advice or support, so they have to sort of build it themselves and I think if an organization is offering an employee resource group, it really helps them to create those systems internally and to to provide that mentorship and support,
1: yeah. So these bigger corporations have no excuse not to implement things like this. They have resource. They have the staffing needed. Maybe there's mentorship that could happen within that company. But let's let's talk about smaller companies, smaller organizations, like you said, startups. What would it look like to support first-generation employees if your staff is only 20, 25 people?
0: Yeah, totally. I think that for startups, you have to start somewhere and you have to do... Something. So I think that even just starting to communicate about your desire to want to make people feel like they belong and they're in an inclusive environment, having those communications come from the senior leadership team and then having managers have some space for talking about DEI initiatives and talking about you know, whether employees are struggling with something. So intentionally making the time and the space for it to actually have those conversations. I think that is what's most important because I think if you are a first gen professional and you're already feeling like a bit uncomfortable, you don't really know what the right thing to do or say is yet, because you're still learning. I think having that safe space to just talk about it and have a conversation and say, hey, I'm feeling kind of left out or I'm feeling like I'm struggling with this a bit. And having a supportive manager that will respond in a way that's empathetic and compassionate, I think that makes a world of difference. So it starts with leaders. And then I think it's trickling down that same culture or mentality down to those frontline managers so that their teams can start to feel like they're in an environment where they belong, creating that that safe space, that psychologically safe space, to be able to talk about it and just to to share what you're going through, especially given the world that we're living in today. Put a you know a sixty minute session together and invite people and just just be able to talk openly with your colleagues and be vulnerable because. We are all human and it's a nice way to connect with other people that are also going through maybe similar things that you're going through. Yeah, that's like one of the first things I would say because it's limited, zero cost and very easy to put together something like that.
1: It's so amazing what can happen when somebody just asks you a question. Yes. Just somebody asking is like such a big deal. Because a lot of times somebody, you know, you know, you're a manager or, you know, any senior leadership will be like, oh, well, we didn't know that this was happening. You never ask. You, You ask about what I did this weekend. Or some of these other, you know, questions that people normally ask in these meetings, right? Um, Before you start a meeting, they're very, they're pleasantries. But you're not really asking, how am I adjusting culturally? You're not really asking, is this different from my last environment or what are my struggles, or do I feel like I'm sh- can I'm able to show up as myself? You haven't asked those questions. So I, I love that you mentioned just giving that space and allowing people to say what's on their heart.
0: Totally. It's asking the question, Joy, but also are you prepared with some of the responses that you may receive? Because
1: a lot of times people ask, but they don't really want the real answers.
0: Yes. Or they're not prepared with With how to respond in an empathetic way, or they don't really understand. And so it's it is about creating the safe space and just asking the questions of how you're doing and things like that. But also, if I dump all of this on you, are you prepared with how to respond to me just as a human? And do you understand, right? So I think. It, it's two parts. It's asking, and but then it's also preparing yourself for, the, for how to respond. Right.
1: And already before anyone even says anything, know that you're going to dedicate the resources, whether that be time or money or whatever, to solving a problem if it comes up. Exactly. You can say, oh my gosh, I'm so... I'm so sorry to hear this. I want to help make it better. But then sometimes the conversations end like that and months pass and you're like, I don't see any initiatives. You haven't brought in an outside party for audit. You haven't asked me you know, um, about this story further. HR hasn't contacted me. You know, Nothing happens after you share. Yeah,
0: and I think that there has to be some intentionality behind why this is important to an organization and why it's important to, you know, a manager just as a human to follow up with their team member on what it is that's that they're struggling with. So it has to be intentional, but also from a place of just being a human, just being a good human and just doing the right thing. It's not that, that challenging or difficult just to be a kind person and to truly care about the people that you work with and that you see more than you probably see some like family members.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this is a lot. We're talking about support that we need from senior leadership in our companies. Talk to me about the support we need from males.
0: So as we look across many C-suites and leadership teams, many of those positions are held by men. And so there's this concept of male allyship that is extremely important. They are in positions of power and influence, and they're making decisions that impact people across organizations. Demonstrating behaviors like being bought in, giving time and energy to DEI efforts, showing empathy and understanding and compassion, and actually really caring about these initiatives is crucial and completely necessary. It's interesting because this concept of male allyship is important, but also specifically for men of color that are in senior positions. Given that there could be more of an understanding of a person of color's experience, we need those men to speak up and use your your voice in rooms where decisions are being made. And also invest the time in mentoring and teaching. So make it so that people feel comfortable knocking on your door and approaching you with questions or if they're in need of guidance and they just want to have a quick conversation and have that desire to want to build relationships with more junior staff.
1: What do you say to men who are conflict aversive and they see bringing up an issue at work or standing up for something as being confrontational?
0: I would say that it takes a lot more courage to speak up and to be sort of the only person in the room with an opinion that's different from the rest And I think that it's a lot more rewarding to be courageous and to be a pioneer and to speak up for what you feel is, is right, because you, you know, you, you have that responsibility to help broaden perspectives in the room. So take it upon yourself to use your voice for something good and make sure that those perspectives are heard and sort of it's about accountability and uh, taking that responsibility yourself because speaking up for one person has small uh, impacts or effects or so it's a domino effect on, on, you know, others. And so just those small changes every single day is what's going to ultimately create these larger changes in organizations every day.
1: Well, I love that you have found something that you're so passionate about and that you're out there um, helping our companies be better. Um, can What advice do you have for people who are looking for um, careers as purposeful as the one that you found?
0: So we talked about reflecting and sort of first determining what is, what it is that sparks that light in you. And so I would just say, continue to do that, continue to practice, tuning in and listening to your intuition and ask yourself questions like, how would I like to feel in my career? What are the contributions I would like to make? What really matters to me? That'll help you gain some clarity. And just remember that your gut will never steer you in the wrong direction. Really practice tuning in and listening to your intuition. And then this concept of surrendering. So surrendering is just about releasing control. Do everything you can, network, uh, send your resume out to as many places as you can, build as much knowledge as you can about what you would like to do or, or what it would take to move into a position that you're interested in, and then let it go. Let go of the timing, let go of the how, how is this going to happen? and have faith that the right people, the right opportunities, they'll come to you at the right time. And the right people will appreciate you. When I left the last company that I was working with, because I knew that it wasn't the right fit, I chose to surrender and just say to myself, listen, I don't know what the next step is, but I know that I'll figure it out. So many other doors opened for me because I had created that space. I wasn't like so attached to this outcome, and I wasn't trying to control every possible thing that I could. Also, the last thing I'll say is the those limiting beliefs. So we talked about this earlier about individuals wanting to tell you that you can't do something or that, you know, it doesn't make sense for them. And so they want to tell you that it that it will make sense for you. And I think, you know, limiting beliefs show up as, There's no opportunities out there. There's no job opportunities. I won't make as much money if I switch my career. No one will hire me based on my resume. If you already think that way and if you already set limitations in your mind before you try to pursue something like a career switch or starting your own business or moving into a new city, you'll likely make choices that are in line with those boxed-in ways of thinking. And so it's really important to Be courageous enough to think, what does my ideal situation look like without being confined to what you feel like is realistic for you? And really adopting a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset. Um, I think that'll make a world of difference to just challenge yourself on why am I thinking this way? Um, and sort of the first the first step is recognizing, oh, my gosh, that's a limiting belief. And why am I thinking this way?
1: Love that. No more limiting beliefs. We're not doing that. <laughs> Thank you so much. If people are interested in getting, you know, DEI consultations for their companies, um, is there a way they can reach out to you or yours?
0: Yes. Yeah, so definitely reach out on LinkedIn. Um, I'm happy to connect with individuals. Yeah, I think LinkedIn is the best platform.
1: Sam brought up some great points, particularly ones around not needing other people to understand your journey, your passions, or your vision. Make sure you're checking in with yourself this week. Are you letting other people decide where you should go, determine your career trajectory? Are you letting the pressure of society get to you too much? I heard a quote recently that when something like, your calling is just that, yours, it wasn't a conference call. Think about it. Have a good week.